in. All right, so we're going to, this is, today's message is kind of just like a prequel, all right, to the ultimate Better Together story. Um, Tanner did an awesome job last week um, preaching about being better together, and we truly, truly are better together. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about the ultimate Better Together story. Um, but this week, I'm going to be talking to you about um, what's kind of happened before the, the day of Pentecost. All right, so next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Um, and, and Pentecost can be like, whoa, what, what's that word? And um, really, it just means the, the feast of 50. just means 50. Um, it, it, it was a feast, and, and we'll go into that next week. But it's not something that we, we need to be like leery of or, or that's a weird word. Um, matter of fact, it's a ma- mighty powerful thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to talk about that next week. Um, but today we're going to talk about what happened with the disciples between resurrection and Pentecost. So does anybody know that this past Thursday, May 26th, was the day of Ascension, was Ascension Day. Does anybody know that? Does anybody know? Does anybody even know what Ascension Day is? Okay, some, some yeses, some noes, some like, what did you just say? Can you spell Ascension for me? Actually, every time I typed it in my notes, I misspelled it, okay? So thank God for, 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 for spell check, because it would go back and it would spell Ascension correctly for me, all right? So May 26, which was this past Thursday, was Ascension Day. And that simply means it was the day that Jesus went to heaven. He ascended into heaven. Okay, so we celebrated Easter. What day did we celebrate Easter? April the 16th, something like that, right? So 40 days after the day of resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay, so for 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples and spoke to them about the kingdom. So let's read about this. It's Acts 1. We're going to start in Acts 1, 1 through 12. And let's just talk about what Jesus and his disciples did before he ascended into heaven. And this is Luke writing, and he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. All right, so do you understand that Jesus Jesus died, he was in the tomb for three days, and then he rose again. Okay, so here's where we're at. After he rose again, here's what Jesus is doing. He's appearing to his disciples, and even in the, in the middle of these 40 days, there are still some people that need proof that Jesus is alive. Okay? Uh, somebody really popular is the doubting Thomas, right? He had to stick his hands where the, the, the spear had been, and he had to see the holes in Jesus' handprints before he could believe that Jesus was alive. So for 40 days, Jesus appeared to the disciples, appeared to different people, and, and gave them proof that he was alive. And so then here we are on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. All right, he's telling them to do something. And he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. 
Now, I, we've got some, a few kids in here, um, some teenagers that kind of maybe still feel this way. But maybe as an adult, you have forgotten what it feels like to wait for a gift. Do you remember when you were a child and it was Christmas Eve? Do you remember that feeling? Okay? If you don't remember that feeling, then you need to, this Christmas, get around some kids. Okay? Borrow somebody's kids and get that, realize what that, remember what that feeling is like. You can't go to sleep. You remember? I remember this past Christmas, Lydia came in there and she was like, I have not slept all night long. I have been awake all night long. And you go to bed early because you think if I go to bed early, then I'll wake up and, and, and then I can just open up presents. You go to bed early, you wake up really, really early. And you go into your parents' room, dead asleep mom, and you tap on her face. And she wakes up scared to death because you just woke her up from a death sleep. Hey, it's Christmas Day. Let's get up. And mom and dad kind of grunt and then slowly get out of it. Okay, all right, you get it? You get it? So I kind of just relived your childhood for you, right? Okay, all right? Or I just relived your now and present time um, as a mom or dad. Um, so Here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I don't leave Jerusalem, but I want you to wait for a gift that the Father has promised. Okay? So you kind of get that like Christmas Eve feeling, right? Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked them, you know, it was like they didn't even, oh, there's a gift coming. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. And then they just asked him this question. They say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom uh, to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But he's bringing them back to the gift. Okay, he's like, you, you don't worry about my authority, okay, because the authority is already on my shoulders, okay? You don't worry about my coming because guess what? I'm here and I'm coming back. But here's what I want you to take you back around to, okay? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, he says that. And then the Bible says after he says this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Whoa, okay? He just dropped a truth bomb on them, and then he left. They're sitting there. All right, Scott, keep going. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Wouldn't you be? Yeah, I would too. And I'm like, there goes Jesus. And he keeps going, and he, he's going past the clouds. I can't see him anymore. Where did he go? And when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, and they said, he said, men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. Did they do what Jesus said? Right? From the hill called Mount Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem. They're gone. They're like, we just, see, we just saw him go into heaven. We gone. All right? So before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave them a promise. We're going to look at it um, the way Luke wrote it in the book of Luke. Luke 24, 45 through 49. Let's read this together. This is, this is Luke um, given his account, and this is Jesus. Um, this is kind of just a little, the same, same scriptures, but kind of just re- reading it a little bit differently. He said, then he, they're talking about Jesus, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Can we stop right now? Can we ask Jesus to do that right now? Jesus, will you open our minds so we can understand your scripture? Your word is being read right now. Your word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And right now, your word is being spoken. I'm just the vessel, but your word does the work. And so, Jesus, open our minds so that we can understand your scriptures right now in Jesus' name. Amen? He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, the gift, right? But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. All right, so here's what Jesus is promising. He's promising that he's going to send what the Father has promised, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift. It's not anything, it's not a taboo, it's not anything to be afraid of, it's not anything to just kind of push under the rug and not talk about. The Holy Spirit is a gift. And it wasn't just for the disciples, he is for us. And here's the second promise, that he is coming back. Okay? All right? So I want to remind you today that God is a fulfiller of promises. He fulfills his promise. Um, When he promises something, you better believe it's going to be done. His promises are true. His promises never fail. All right? So I'm going to give you a couple of facts And we can call them facts because they're backed by the word of God. And so, therefore, we can call them truths about God's promises. All right? If you take notes, this is a good time to take them. So here are some facts, some truths about God's promises. Number one, God's promises never, ever, 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 never, ever, ever, never fail. I just added all those nevers and evers in case you didn't notice. Because they don't ever fail. His promises never 
fail. The fact about God's promises is that they never fail. So when he told the disciples, you're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to wait for what I promised, they knew that he was telling them the truth and that it wasn't, that his promises were never, ever going to fail. Here's what Joshua said in his farewell speech to the Israelites. Let me take you back to Joshua because he knew something about God's promises and he knew that they never failed. Let me tell you what he said. Joshua 23, 14 says this. Now, five seconds. No, now, I'm going to read it off my paper. I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. You know with, he's he's telling them, I'm about to die, guys. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises of the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. So truth about God's promises is that they never fail. All right? Number two, facts, truths. I think I like truths better than facts because this is the truth. Because facts can get wrong, but truth is truth. Truth is truth. Truth does not change. Truth is the compass that always points north. Truth is truth. Can I say that again? Because in our culture, we think that truth changes. But truth does not change. Truth is truth. And it's backed up by what's, the, what's in the word of God. Truth is truth. Just, sorry. That was a little commercial. Side note, okay? Number two, God's promises are never broken. Let's read 2 Corinthians 1.20. All right, I'm backing it up by the truth. Truth is backed up by the truth. I'm backing it up by the word of God, okay? Because that's how you can know, okay, Miss Joy gave me all these points, but how do I know they're true? Because I'm giving you the word of God, which is the truth, and it's backing them up. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So when I look at God's promises in his word, I say yes and amen to you, promise. Number three, God's promises are the same today as they were yesterday. So what he did for Abraham He's going to do it for you. The way he provided for Moses, he's going to provide for you. The way he called Matthew out of the tax collector's booth and said, come follow me, he's going to do it for you. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You want me to back it up with some word? Hebrews. 13.8 says this, not me, right? Not Matt Walsh, not 
whoever you watch on Fox News, surely not anyone in the government, anyone you can think of in history, their name is not here. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God's promises are the same today as they were yesterday. All right, number four. Man, they've been so good so far, right? Mm, we can shout hallelujah to those three. But let's, listen, let's look at number four. Number four is this. God fulfills his promises in his timing. Difficult, right? Second Peter, you want me back? I'm gonna back it up with some word. Second Peter 3 9 says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. If you have ever had a child or been around a child, you understand patience and slowness. Like your slowness and Lydia's slowness are two separate things. Okay? I have learned to not say, I promise that we'll do this. Because little Lydia Byler keeps you at your promise. Okay? So, thank God I'm not God. And thank God that his slowness is not my slowness. Because if it was, he would not be patient with me. And he would not be patient with you. But here's what 2 Peter 3.9 says, says this. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Aren't you glad that God is not on your time frame? Aren't you glad that God's promises are fulfilled in his timing? I don't know that you are. Are you glad? Come on. So I think all the facts of God's promises, that this might be the one we say that's the most difficult. Yes, God, we know that your promises never fail. Praise God, they are never broken. Lord, I believe that your promises are the same yesterday, today, and forever. But when we get to God's timing, we don't get as excited, do we? But I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to write this down. I wish I had it up on the screen so you could write it, but I'm going to say it twice. It's in the waiting of the promise to be fulfilled that God does his greatest work on us and in us. Can I say it again? It is in the waiting of the promise to be fulfilled that God does his greatest work on us and in us. As I was preparing this message today, there were several people that God said, there are some people who have been waiting, but they don't understand waiting. And so I want you to teach them today 
a word that I have for them. And so this word is for those of you who have been waiting. Those of you who have been looking up to the sky and watching and waiting on Jesus. And maybe even the clouds have hidden him from you. The Lord is going to teach you today about waiting. Jesus told the disciples to go to Jerusalem and what? What? Wait. We have a problem with wait in our culture. Can I just give you some words here? Okay. We are an insta culture. All right. I-N-S-T-A. Insta culture. You got an insta pot? Man, that thing will cook some stuff in minutes. Okay. I can make mac and cheese in my insta pot in eight minutes. Like good mac and cheese. Like homemade mac and cheese. I'll give you the recipe if you want it. It's really, really good. Eight minutes, I can make this stuff, okay? Boiled noodles, boiled everything, okay? It will cook frozen chicken, like the chicken breast you get frozen. It will cook it in like 10 minutes straight. Instantly, okay? Instant. We like instant in our culture, all right? Instagram. Like if you got an Instagram account, man, you can scroll through that thing and you can see what people are doing like instantly, right? We like to see all the instant information coming in. Um, another thing, I was just kind of looking up Insta words, but I, I haven't used this particular um, company, but I do like uh, the version of it that I use at Walmart. But there's a company called Instacart. You can put your groceries in that bad boy, and they will deliver them to you, but not in Greenville, Alabama, because they do not do this zip code, okay? Trust me, I've looked. Um, but Walmart does a mean Walmart pickup, okay? I'm just going to say, because I like to have my groceries instantly, okay? I don't even have to, like, if they've got time frames that are all day long, man, that makes my heart happy. But if I go on there and there's no time frames or they're, like, at 8 or 9 o'clock, man, I'm mad, okay? I'm like, who just took up all those time frames from me? I want my groceries this time, you know? So that's our culture, right? We want things instantly right now. All right, so I want to kind of let you look at something and maybe this will kind of help you with the instant thing. But what would have happened to King David if he had, been, if he had seen God's promise of being king fulfilled instantly? Okay, let me kind of take you back. He was a young teenager, probably 15. We have any 15-year-olds in the house? Around 15, 16-year-olds? I know we got some 16. You raise your hand, you're 16. Yes, one, two, three. All of y'all are 16, all right? So we're looking at David. He was out in the shepherd's field. And out there just watching the sheep, okay? Samuel the prophet comes to his house because God told Samuel that he was going to anoint a king from Jesse's sons. Jesse brings all of his sons and parades them in front of Samuel, and none of them are who God picked. He said, don't you have just anybody else? Well, yeah, there's a little 15-year-old David. He's in the fields, and he's watching sheep, but I don't think you need him because sheep watchers really are not king material, you know? And go get him, Samuel says, and... 
Samuel puts his eye on David and says he's the one. Because God doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the inward. And David is the one. And so David anoints him king. Does David immediately go to the throne? No. He waits. He goes back to the field. And it's there in the field that he learns that there's still some praises to God that he's got to give. That there's still some psalms that he has to write. That there's still some lions and some bears that he has to learn to kill. That there is still some things he has to learn. It's in the fields that he learns that the Lord is his shepherd he shall not want. It's in the fields that he declares praises to God that nobody else hears. It's just him and the king worshiping together. It's in the fields and the waiting that he becomes ready for what God has for him. It's called David. I want to just call it David's wait. The pasture time prepared him for Goliath. You ever feel like you're in the pasture time, like you're waiting. And the promise of becoming king still doesn't happen even after he kills Goliath. He still waits. He doesn't become king until he is 30 years old. He doesn't fight Goliath until he's 19 or 20. Do you see where God had him waiting? He was waiting It's in the waiting, I want you to write this, it's in the waiting that God prepares us. It's in the waiting that God positions us. It's in the waiting that God protects us. And it's in the waiting that he pushes us to his his, his plan and purposes. Same thing happens to Joseph. He had to endure the pit and the prison to be ready for the palace. You ever had to endure the pit? I know some of you have endured the prison. It was in the waiting that God was getting you ready for the palace. If we allow the Lord to be in control of our weight, here's what God does with the weight. I want to show you. Turn with me to Isaiah 61. I'm going to start at the end of verse 2 and read verse 3. So in the wait, he comforts all who mourn. And he provides for those who grieve in Zion. He bestows on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. And the oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And he calls you oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Do oaks of righteousness just happen? You got to wait to get an oak. Sometimes many, many years. Are you waiting this morning? Are you in the wait this morning? All right, let's go back to the disciples 
And I want to talk about what they did when Jesus said to wait. Because here we have men that had, and women who have been with Jesus. They had seen him perform miracles. They had seen him open up the eyes of the blind man. They had seen him feed 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves of, fish, of bread. A couple of loaves of fishes. I'm not sure what kind of loaves of fishes there were. Loaves of bread and fish. They had seen him. They had walked with him. They talked with him. They had spent time with him. They had seen him die. They had seen him rose again. They had seen him rise up into heaven. And he told them to wait. So let's go to Luke 24, 49 through 52. Here's Jesus talking again about the gift, about the promise. He said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. I think I'm reading this from the New King James Version. Scott has NIV up there, so, so I just love the way this, this read here. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And here's what they did. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. New King James Version says, Amen. So can we see the response of the disciples that, that, that they had on them when Jesus said, wait, I'm going to break it down for you, okay? Was it, was it crying? Was it complaining? Was it, oh God, why did you do it this way? Was it anxiety? Was it depression? Oh my gosh, I'm just going to curl up in a ball over here. Jesus is gone, and I'm just going to sit here in the darkness, and I'm going to be depressed. Was that their response? Jesus has forgotten us. He's left us. He didn't answer my prayer. Was that their response? All right, I'm breaking it down for you. It was one, obedience. Jesus said to go to Jerusalem. That's what we're doing. It was two, praising and worshiping Jesus in the middle of the wait. After you have been obedient, say, okay, God, I see you. I know that you are in control of my life. I know that I am in a waiting season. I know that I'm waiting for the promise. I know that I'm waiting for the gift. You said it. I believe it. I'm being obedient here, Lord. And in the middle of the waiting, what I'm going to do is I'm going to praise you and I'm going to worship you. And not just any old sad Motown worship, you know, like the, the minor worship where you get in the minor keys. I'm talking about a musician now. Somebody's looking at me like their eyebrows are scratched. Like you get it in the minor keys and it's sad music, okay? If you start worshiping and you praise God with great joy, you're not settling down in the sadness, 
You're not settling down in the woe is me. And you're not settling down in the grief. And you're not settling down in the mourning. And you're not settling down in the ashes. And you're not settling down into all the things that the enemy tried to bring to you. You're not settling down in it. No, you're going out with worship and praise with great joy. And then number four, here's what they did. Continually. They were continually, continually. To me, that means that it doesn't stop. Is that what it kind of means to you guys? Like if you're continually, that means you're not stopping. That you're continuing to do it. You're continuing to go. You're continuing and not stopping. And here's what they did continually. They were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. In the middle of the wait, the enemy will try to isolate you from God's people. In the middle of the wait, the enemy will try to isolate you from the church. In the middle of the wait, and you might say, oh, Joy, you're just pastor. You're Pastor Jason's wife. He's always teaching about the church. Well, my goodness, we are the church. And in the middle of the wait, you need the people of God. As imperfect as we are. Ain't none of us perfect. I'll stand as the first hand up. I wish I was because I'm a perfectionist. (laughs) But I'm not. Hey, I'm not perfect. No one in this room is perfect. But we serve a perfect God. And he makes all things new. And he can cause a group of imperfect people to be everything he needs to take a city for him. But in the middle of the wait, you cannot isolate. You have got to get with the people of God. Disciples knew what they were doing, didn't they? We need to take some notes. I'm going to tell you a secret. That the disciples know. You ready? You ready? Here's a secret. Here's a secret. I love it when Lydia tells me a secret because she'll get right in my ear and she'll whisper in my ear and it goes in my earlobe and it does like this. I'm like, oh, can you not whisper in my ear? Okay, I'm just weird, right? Nobody else doesn't like anybody to whisper in their ear. All right, but I'm fixing to tell you a secret. Here's what the disciples knew. And we need to know it. We need to get it down in the depths of our heart. And I'm going to read it from my notes because I don't want to get it wrong. Here's what the disciples knew, and you write this down. They knew this is about to blow your mind. They knew the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That through his death and resurrection, that every one of God's promises had been fulfilled. It doesn't matter if I have to wait for it. It's already been done. It just, reality just has to catch up with my faith. You want me to say that again? Reality has to just catch up with my faith. My faith says I am healed. However God does that, I am healed. 
Jesus said to go and wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to go do it. I don't care if I have to wait 10 days. I don't care if I have to wait 10 months. I don't care if I have to wait 10 years. If he said it, he's going to do it. Y'all not excited as I am. This hit me like revelation. If he said it, he's going to do it. Why? Because he is a risen Savior, and he has conquered death, and he has conquered hell. And in doing so, he has fulfilled every promise of God. Come on. I'm not saying that once you start serving Jesus and he puts you in a wait period, that it's going to be easy. Being a Christian is not easy. Jesus said it wasn't going to be easy, but he gave you a promise. He said, take heart because I have overcome the world. See how he backs up everything with a promise? And I'm not telling you that at the end of the wait that it's going to look like what you thought it was going to look like. You might have this vision of how God's answering your prayer. And at the end of the wait, it looks nothing like your vision. But that's okay. Because Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of these things will be added to you. So when you're seeking God's kingdom, then your mind and your perspective and your vision starts to change to his kingdom mentality. All right. I'm wrapping it up. Okay? Here's what God wanted me to tell you today. What are you waiting on today? Because I know there's some people in here waiting on it because God told me there were. I've been in a waiting period myself several times in my life. I'm waiting on a healing. Are you waiting on a healing today? Because let me take you to some truth. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, and this has been accomplished through Jesus Christ on the cross. This promise has been fulfilled. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are, come on. I love this. I was looking up healing scriptures saying to you, you probably had this written all over your wall. But I don't know that I've ever seen this one. Shame on me. Jeremiah 30, 17 says, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. Man, not only my body, but my soul and my emotions, things that people have wounded me, wounds from, from my childhood, wounds from my job, wounds, wounds from people, other people that I've come in contact with. Jesus says he will restore me. And he has fulfilled the promise. Jesus fulfilled this promise. Are you waiting? These are just some things that God gave me and promises he gave me, and you might be waiting on something else, but he just brought this to my heart. Are you waiting on a prodigal to come home? 
Maybe you are a prodigal. I don't know. But Ezekiel 34, 16 says this, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And in Matthew, Jesus says this, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them have gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Jesus has fulfilled the promise. Are you waiting on your freedom? John 8, 36 says this. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus fulfilled this promise. Are you waiting on just a little bit of peace? Lord, my life is so chaotic. Lord, my life is so busy. Lord, my life is so crazy. Lord, I'm so worried about all of these things. I'm so anxious about all of these things. I'm so fearful of what might happen. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this, and don't you knock it because you heard it a thousand times. You let this scripture, be your mind and heart be open and let this scripture speak to your heart. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus has fulfilled the promise. Waiting for God is possible because of Jesus. I'm not saying we can bend God's arm and say, Lord, you're going to do what I'm, what I'm asking and you're going to do it the way I want you to do it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we bend our knee and we say, Lord, I believe your promises. Lord, I trust you in the waiting. And whatever the outcome looks like, your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are greater than mine. And Lord, it's not my will, but yours be done. We find out next week, haha, cliffhanger, what happens because of the waiting together that the early church did. The better together. It's going to come on Pentecost. Jesus ascends into heaven. And the people he leaves behind are waiting. Waiting for the promise. Waiting for the gift. I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. But they wait 10 days. And that's what we learn about next week. But today... The Lord wants to minister to those who are waiting. Maybe some of the things that I mentioned today, the Holy Spirit just tried to knock you over the head with it. It wasn't me. 
I said, Lord, you let me be the vessel. Your word does the work. Holy Spirit, you're the one who knows exactly where every person is. And you know who's waiting, how long they've been waiting, what they're waiting for. And today he wants to minister to you. So I'm going to say I'm closing, but the Holy Spirit's not done. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I mean, I felt like I was just a machine gun just popping these things out for you. But maybe in my imperfect communication, the Holy Spirit was able to speak to your heart today. I don't know what you're waiting for, but God does. Maybe it's your future and what the plans and the purposes that he has for you. Maybe this morning you're concerned about a child and you're just waiting for God to do something and to move. Maybe this morning you're, you're like me and you're just waiting on that perfect healing from Jesus. I need healing in my body and I know the promises of God are true and they have been fulfilled through Christ Jesus. And I'm waiting and I will be healed one day. So if you're someone here today and this word of just waiting has spoken to your heart today, can you just in surrender to what the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you about? Can you just lift your hands and say, God, that's me? I see your hands. I see your hands. Holy Spirit sees your hands all over the room. And I do not have to call out what you're waiting for. You already know what you're waiting for. And the Lord wants to minister to your heart today. So I'm going to ask you as just a step of obedience because Jesus, Jesus left a, a, a step for the disciples to do. And he said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And so this morning, if you're desperate, and this morning if you just really just say, God, I need you to help me in the waiting, I'm going to ask you to step out. Just like he asked the disciples to step out and go to Jerusalem. I'm going to ask you to step out this morning just as an act of obedience and just as an act of saying, God, I've surrendered and I'm stepping out in obedience to you. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to come forward and we are going to pray for you.